Hey, welcome everybody. We're back at On Podcast, the On Microsoft Podcast. Uh, again, the only one. So if you're searching <laughs> for it, this should be the only thing that comes up. Uh, my name is Kareem Anderson. I'm joined with the world's greatest co-host tonight. Arif Bacchus. Yeah, and uh, we got a, kind of a jam-packed uh, podcast for you. This one is an interview podcast. So the uh, majority of our time is going to be spent speaking with Microsoft's James Schwartzman about gaming cloud um, and just some really in-depth uh, interesting information to pull from that interview about uh, the cloud and how Xbox, Microsoft, and Azure all kind of coalescing around it. And then uh, this week was uh, Microsoft's earnings call. So Kareem is always the one who writes about the money. So um, I'll let him explain, like dive deeper into the numbers and put the numbers into a common folks perspective so we could see where Microsoft is making their money. Yeah, they're not making it on GameStop, not the way everyone else did this week. <laughs> and then we'll be talking about the uh, Surface Pro ads. Uh, there was a recent one that's kind of taking some pot shots at Apple. Uh, again, in the wake of uh, what they reported for their earnings, uh, seems in line with what's going on and how confident the company's feeling right now. So we'll get into that as well. And then our Cherish segment, which I'll let her kind of introduce again or reintroduce. Yeah. The week ahead, which you only could find on the On podcast, uh, there's a lot coming up uh, this week ahead for Microsoft, for Microsoft, and also for us here at On Microsoft. Uh, Kareem got a brand new ThinkPad X1 Fold, which uh, he's going to talk a little bit about. And then also Microsoft is planning to have a Microsoft 365 event, so we'll just look through some of some of what we might expect from them. Yeah, and. Um... We'll also probably briefly touch about, um, we mentioned last week about their uh, PAC, the Microsoft Committee, uh, well, Political Action Committee, uh, and what they've done with it. Uh, weeks gone by, so we've got some more definitive answers. We'll kind of gloss over that and just kind of see where Microsoft stands and in, in head and shoulders with the rest of the industry as well. But with all that being said, let's get into the fun part and the really interesting part, <laughs> which is our interview uh, with, uh, with James, uh, Mr. Gordsman over at, I uh, believe, Playfab slash Azure. I don't know what the full official title is for, for that company. Azure Playfab. There we go. You got to put the company first, then the product. <laughs> uh, for our first segment here on the On Podcast, I am interviewing our special guest, James Gortzman, who is the general manager for Gaming Cloud at Microsoft. So, uh, James, um, I'm sure not a lot of people are familiar with who you are. Why don't you introduce yourself to our viewers and our listeners and tell us your story and about your role in Microsoft and Azure PlayFab? Sure, I'd love to. So my name is James. Uh, I've been uh, active in the gaming industry for more than 20 years now. Uh, initially, I you know, had my, some of my own game studios, and I've been making games for a long time. Uh, I had a chance to actually move to China back in 2008, where I built and ran the Chinese uh, game studio for PopCap Games, which made games like Plants vs. Zombies and Bejeweled and others. And uh, in China, I had a chance to work very closely with a new type of business model for gaming called free-to-play, where games are free. And now that is, frankly, kind of the common model. But back then, it was still pretty novel. And I had a chance to see firsthand is how hard it is as a game studio to build and operate these free-to-play games, because you're essentially having to do all the challenges of running like your own website, but inside of a game. And, uh, and it, it's hard. And EA bought PopCap along the way, and, and I had a chance to see that across EA, a lot of different game teams were all struggling with the same issues 
of how do you build and run the technology behind these 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 kinds of games. And so in 2014, uh, I, I started a new company called PlayFab, specifically to try and solve the sort of cloud services or cloud gaming challenges of, of operating these new games, which are being run more like services and, and less like traditional games. And it was a lot of fun, and we, we built that business pretty fast. And then in 2018, Microsoft bought it. So we're just now celebrating the three-year anniversary of the acquisition of PlayFab by Microsoft. Um, since that time, over the, the last three years, the business has grown really, really pretty quickly. We're up to you know, almost 10 times bigger now than we were at the time of acquisition. And in the last few months, I've taken a new role where I'm no longer just focusing on, on PlayFab, but specifically the whole story of how Microsoft provides services for game developers. And it's something that we're taking really quite seriously. You know, when, when we were looking at the acquisition three years ago, I still remember very clearly, I was at my breakfast table uh, having a phone call with Phil Spencer, who runs the whole gaming group. And we were chatting about, you know, I was trying to make a decision, do I want to do this deal or not? Do I want to come to Microsoft or not? And Phil is basically saying, look, I want to build the world's best platform for gaming, full stop. And part of that involves things like Xbox and devices, but part of it involves all the things you need to do nowadays in the cloud for modern development. And, and that's the part that's always excited me. And I, when I heard his commitment to that, I was like, okay, fine, I'm in. And now in this new role, I finally get to focus exactly on that. How do we help Microsoft build the world's best cloud platform for game developers? And what does that entail? And what are the problems they face? And how can we stitch together end-to-end -end solutions, leveraging sort of everything Microsoft has to help make that possible? So everything from Teams to Visual Studio to GitHub, to our own PlayFab and, and other technologies within the gaming org. Wow, that is a fantastic story. I'm so glad that you're able to tell us that story. Yeah, it's 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 been a fun journey, and I'm excited to see sort of we're just we're just the starting line now of this of this the new chapter. And so over coming years, it'll be really fun to watch us as we start to really pursue and and build out the kinds of solutions we know that developers need. So earlier this week, uh, we covered it in our post uh, news post, but now that we have you here, the industry celebrated, like you mentioned earlier, three years of Microsoft and PlayFab being together. You mentioned that since PlayFab joined Microsoft, that the number of individual titles using Azure PlayFab has skyrocketed by almost nine times. Can you tell our viewers a little bit more about PlayFab, what it is, what it powers? Because as you were telling me to begin, not everyone might know why Azure PlayFab is so important and what it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so like I was mentioning earlier, games now the games themselves are services. Uh, you've got to run a lot of continual operations behind the scenes to keep the modern game running. You know, and 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 if you if you've ever played a multiplayer game and you've tried to join a match and you couldn't join the match because you know, a server wasn't available or right. your, or the matchmaking technology couldn't find another player for you to match against and, and join. That, those are ultimately failures of, of, of cloud technology, backend technology. And so if you look at the kinds of services we provide, it's everything from helping with your content updates, so continually updating content to your game and, and making those updates available, things like multiplayer and, and, and providing game servers and matchmaking and voice chat technology and... and, and and uh, uh, things like that, leaderboards. Uh, a lot of what we do has to do with analytics and helping game developers know what's going on inside their games. Because nowadays, when you're running a game as a service, you need to know what's happening. You need to know right. are your players having fun, not having fun, where are they having trouble. If you're going to release new updates every week, 
you want to know sort of where to put your effort. And so uh, doing game analytics and insights is another big piece of the of the puzzle. Uh, and then we also have some technologies in there to help with the in-game commerce. So, you know, more and more games are free and rely on selling items inside the game itself. And that's, again, like running not just a website, but an e-commerce website in your game. Right. And so we've got technologies there to help provide that. So managing the catalog of items you can sell. Uh, in some cases, we even have technology to help with user-generated content. So a game like Minecraft, uh, the player is also the creator, you know, and players are creating a lot of their own content. And so making it easy for players to upload that content and then moderate it and then make it available for resale is another you know, example of a service we, we have. So you just gave us the big story of, of PlayFab and what PlayFab does. But uh, back in 2018, Microsoft acquired PlayFab. Um, I remember writing the post about it, and it wasn't something that a lot of people expected. But I know you were the founder and the CEO of the company back then. Can you tell us a little bit more? I know you just gave us a general look at it in my first question when we started speaking, but can you tell us like how it felt being being able to be picked up by Microsoft and being able to join them in their vision? Oh, I mean, it was it was super exciting. We we yeah. when we created PlayFab, you know, we really did have this vision of sort of changing the whole game industry by providing this sort of universal platform that would make it super easy for game developers to, to build and operate their games. And at the time, you know, we aspired to one day have, you know, some of the world's biggest games using our platform. And when we first started, that seemed like a very distant goal. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we were mostly focusing on smaller independent games back then because they were the games who, who really needed our services and, and didn't have a lot of other options. Um, but you fast forward to now and you know, games like uh, realizing games like Minecraft are using PlayFab, or games like Halo, or you know Forza, or mm -hmm. you know uh, third-party games like you know um, like uh, 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 you know Ubisoft's Rainbow Six Siege, or you know um, No Man's Sky. It's just remarkable. I mean, that's you know we really did create the company because we wanted to see developers you know be able to do awesome new creative things and not have to keep reinventing the wheel. And so to right. see it actually happening is is, 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 is is really kind of like a dream come true. And I also think that when we came to Microsoft, there were very few companies in the world that had the right mixture of ingredients to really be a great home for PlayFab. And, and so what, part of what made Microsoft unique is, you know, first of all, Microsoft has this 30-year legacy of experiencing gaming. You know, I don't know if people realize that Microsoft's involvement in gaming goes way before mm -hmm. Xbox. And even before Xbox... You know, we were leading in PC gaming with our own flight simulator. Mm -hmm. And one of the first games I remember playing on the Apple was Olympic Decathlon, which was made by Microsoft. And so we've been doing games from the very beginning of the company. And so we've got this great legacy in gaming. We also have this great tradition of building platforms. I mean, Windows is obviously the ultimate kind of platform that created this massive PC industry. And not a lot of companies understand what it means to really build a developer platform successfully. And finally, Microsoft has a cloud, you know, and there's only a few companies in the world that have large clouds. And so you bring those three things together, cloud, platform, and game experience, and that's like the perfect, you know, landing place for a service like PlayFab. So that, that pretty much explains it very well. But at a time like right now, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and um, a lot of people are heading online and playing games. So a lot of a question that my colleague Kareem Anderson had for you, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it during the filming, but I do have a question of his for, for you. And he wanted to know that 
Are you seeing a slowdown in development amidst the pandemic, or is there, or is there an increase in online scalability of current properties looking to take advantage of more gamers being at home and in front of a screen longer? Um, we're, we're not seeing a slowdown. Uh, mm -hmm. If anything, we're seeing a speed up as more and more, you know, the, the fact that more and more gamers are looking for games is creating, you know, in some ways even more kind of pressure and intensity for game developers to kind of keep up and continue investing. If, if anything, I've seen, you know, a whole bunch of new game startups being funded and a lot of really kind of exciting activity happening in, in the gaming space. I think what the, what the pandemic has done, though, is it has really put pressure and challenge game studios on on distributing their development you know where right. when you can't have everyone sitting around you know a table in an office together you have to distribute your development people working from home it's hard it's actually very hard and when i talk about this new game vertical that i'm running one of the major areas of focus for us is actually helping game developers uh with accelerating their game production through the cloud and instead of having you know, you know, we've we've had our own game studios at Microsoft, some of our first party game studios struggling with massive games where their their developers are having to spend the first couple hours every morning just downloading all the new files, mm -hmm. you know, to, to keep to do their job. And so you, re, you start to realize maybe instead of having to every day bring all the data down to people's home PCs, it's more efficient to simply bring the people to the cloud, you know, keep all the data in the cloud and do more and more of your work up in the cloud with things like remote desktops and uh and cloud storage and so forth so we're, we're we're actively investigating opportunities there where we can help with that that shift to the cloud for development that also will segue me into another question of his which you mentioned a lot of big titles that are using azure playfab so what i don't know if you could answer directly but what game or franchise has been one of the most services most taxing like on azure and on playfab well, the serve the game that is using probably the most services from from PlayFab is Minecraft. Minecraft is right. in some ways the the kind of the biggest game we have right now on on the platform, mostly because it's the number of players. You know, we have you know just a huge number of of daily active players in Minecraft, and they're all hitting you know servers and server technology, and especially Minecraft Realms, where you get to sort of rent your own server. You know, we're hosting all of that on Azure as well. And so that's a, that is probably the game that we work with most closely and they're the most aggressive user. And they're also fun to work with because they're willing to try new things. You know, so one of the, you know, experiments we've been doing is can we use machine learning, for example, and some recommendation technology originally built for retail. And, and, and in fact, you know, I think it may, it may be even in use by Walmart today, that same recommendation engine can we put it inside of Minecraft and use it to help make recommendations in, inside the Minecraft marketplace? So I love I love those kinds of crossovers. The so, game that is probably sorry. Go no go ahead sorry. No, I was going to say the the game that is probably um, the most intense user of cloud services in terms of innovation is Flight Simulator. I am such a fan of our Flight Simulator game and what the team there has done because that is an example of a game that is truly could not have been built and, and was not possible before the, the cloud. Because if you've played that game, part of what makes it so cool is that you can fly around literally the entire world. I'm and a big fan of the game. I've always cool, been right? thinking about it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive to see how they're able to pull all of the mapping data and the 3D models and all of that from online and from Bing. But I didn't know that it was also powered by Azure and yeah, PlayFab. 
it is. It, you know, there's, there's at several different levels. On the game, first of all, at the game creation level, you know, they you, you can fly around the entire world. And what makes it ex- exciting is that we didn't have to have, if we, if we had had to have artists physically modeling and creating the geometry for the whole world, it would have been impossible. And so part of what makes that possible is we're using machine learning models to take satellite imagery, 2D flat satellite imagery, and using that to sort of generate geometry based on, on, on these models that, that, that maps to the real world. So that is super compelling and, and, and super effective. And so we're using machine, and, and the way that works is um, the models, once you build the models, it takes about 72 hours to process the entire world in a single giant compute run where we're, we're leveraging the cloud you know, pretty aggressively to, to do that. So that's on the creation side. And then on the game operation side, they're using a lot of playful technology. They're using our marketplace technology for the marketplace. So when you go in there and you want to buy your own airplanes or buy airports or buy additional assets, that's being processed through the same uh, uh, technology. And then they're also using us for analytics and, and, and a lot of the kind of core core services. And, and then, of course, the game itself is being streamed off the cloud. So as you're, as you're playing it, you're not having to download the entire world all at once. You download bits and pieces of it. And that's also being, being powered by PlayFab. So, yeah, no, there's a lot of very cool uses of the cloud by that game. You just got into some of the details of how PlayFab works. But another question that my colleague Kareem had is he wants to know, like, what are some specific tools that Azure PlayFab uses and how it differs from just Azure as a specific resource? And how is it leveraging Azure itself to accommodate partners? Sure. So we are, you can think of us as basically a layer of custom software built specifically specifically for games that sits on top of Azure. So raw Azure gets you the basics, storage, mm-hmm. compute, networking. What we're doing is we're adding on top of that technologies to make it easier to use and, and or provide new capabilities. Like a, a good example would be our PlayFab multiplayer server technology, which takes care of the problem of spinning up and spinning down game servers for you automatically around the world based on, 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 on player demand. So if you were building it yourself, you would have to build your own kind of orchestration layer, they're called, you know, a layer of technology that will take care of deciding when to allocate a new game server for you and when to sort of deallocate it or decommission it. Because you don't want to pay for servers you're not your players aren't using. Right. Because you know, loads typically go up and down throughout the day. It's rarely steady. You know, in, especially in the evenings, gameplay goes up. During the day, gameplay goes down. So you need to be able to kind of allocate your servers dynamically to avoid wasting money. And so you could build that yourself. But what one of the things that makes the, the PlayFab multiplayer does it's very cool is it really simplifies the whole thing. You create your game server or you write the code for your game server, and then you simply upload it to PlayFab, and then we will automate, and then you tell us, you know, which regions around the world you want to have it active in, you know, depending on where your players are, and we will automatically allocate servers and then spin them up and spin them down for you based on load, and we will kind of try to balance it out and keep it efficient for you, and, and it makes it so much easier and faster for the developer because they just have to worry about making the game. We'll take care of making sure the game servers are running, where they're running, uh, and and so forth. So we got into a lot of the franchises that are powered by Azure PlayFab, but what are some games or franchises that you would love to host or help improve that you're currently not working with right now? Again, this is another question from my colleague Kareem. Well, I can't comment on on games we're not currently working with because right. 
you know, they may be under under negotiation or, or what have you. Um, but, you know, I, I'll answer it in kind of a roundabout way of saying that there's literally no game that we don't want to work with. You know, we, yeah, we right. really do want our platform to be the world's platform for gaming. You know, there's the more games we, we host, the more we can invest in better services and better technology. And the more we do that, the better platform we can create. And so I really do want to see our service continue to grow because ultimately, you know, my motivation here is not, you know, my, my motivation here is to help game developers be more successful. You know, that's, that's been my life's passion since I was a kid, you know, back when I was in high school, I worked in this, in the theater, uh, on stage crew, you know, where I was, I was, you know, behind the scenes, helping build the scenery and do the lighting for, for the actors. And in many ways, I see my current role as being not, not very different where I'm behind the scenes, helping create, you know, the, the equivalent of the scenery and the lighting to help the game creators shine and, and, and do their best work. And if we can help, you know, bring a game to market faster or help someone build a better game because they don't have to, you know, focus on, on, on building this boring plumbing, then I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. So another question of Kareem's is that um, as your PlayFab, it supports live ops and services and multiplayer environments across platforms like Xbox, PlayStation, Stadia, PC, and, and mobile. So can you share some information? It doesn't have to be specific, but what is your partner usage breakdown looking like as far as platforms like iOS, Android, and brands? Well, when we were first acquired, we were by far majority mobile. I think maybe 85% of our of our games and our traffic was on mobile devices. Since we've been acquired, that's gone down because we have so many games now on Xbox because of our first party offering. So we're we're, we're more console friendly now than we were probably at the time of acquisition. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still, I would say, mobile still makes up probably more than half of our total uh, workload just because you know that's where the games are and and it, and it's exciting for us to see more and more of our developers able to easily take advantage of cross-platform opportunities so we're one of the few parts of Microsoft's gaming organization that has you know switch dev kits and stadia dev kits and PlayStation dev kits because we're building solutions for all of those you know we're not we're not just Xbox we're not just PC we really do focus on all the platforms because again, we're really focused on helping our game developers be more successful and game developers are trying to target players wherever they are. And so no one wants to say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't play my game because you're on a phone or you're on right. PlayStation or whatever. So we really do want to encourage and help support that cross, cross-platform play. So um, as, we, as you announced in your blog post at Microsoft earlier this week, PlayFab announced that starting on January 29th, They'll make available their party plugin for Unity developers for creating games for Switch, PS4, uh, Android, and iOS. And that that's in addition to the Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Windows PC platforms, which you already support. So another question that Kareem had, is there a roadmap or a general overview of up- upcoming tools and developer features that you could elab- elaborate on? I can't. We do publish our roadmap fairly often on our blog. So I would encourage anyone to go check out our blog and see what's 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 the latest posted there. Okay, that's great. So and and another question of Kareem's. Uh, this is one of his last questions. So we're getting towards the end here. I know we only have you for 30 minutes. So hmm. 
PlayFab seems to be online about online reach and stability, but can its tools and services be made to help improve single player experiences at home for gamers who have less than optimal bandwidth? So PlayFab certainly can be used by single player games. In fact, a lot of our games are, are single player. Mm -hmm. um, even just the analytics and being able to understand what your players are doing will help you create new games even if they're single player or, or, or releasing content updates uh, are all the kinds of things that single player games need as well. So for sure, we can help with single player games. Um, I think whether or not a game works, even if you have a bad internet connection or no internet connection at all, is a game decision up to the game creator. You know, and I think obviously different games are going to answer differently based on the style of gameplay. If you're a very, very competitive game, where your players competing with each other, even if it's single player, then it's a little harder to have it be fully offline because it's unfortunately too easy to, you know, jailbreak your device and cheat and modify memory and so on. If your game is not very competitive, then there's no reason why you can't have a great offline mode as well as having, you know, online features and online support. So it really does depend on the game type. So, and the final question that we both have for you uh, is kind of a business question. How has your new pay-as-you-go servicing panned out for you so far? Really good. Yeah, so so just to explain to your viewers what, what that is, a few months ago, we announced that a huge change to the pricing model for PlayFab. So when we first created PlayFab, we went with a model where we charged you based on the number of players you had. And mm -hmm. at the time, we did that because we thought it would be a lot simpler and easier for game developers to, to predict their cost, and therefore we thought that was going to be the sort of easiest way to uh, to charge for the service. What we didn't anticipate, but maybe in hindsight we should have, is all the problems that the sort of one-size-fits-all model is going to have. So the biggest problem with it is, you know, we're basically undercharging some developers, you know, by a lot in many cases, uh, and overcharging others, where, you know, someone's, you know, some people have felt like we're too expensive because, you know, they're paying for services they don't need, and other people feel like we're a great bargain, but we're frankly losing money because it doesn't keep up. And, and, and the way we had to deal with that losing money part is we had to put in place a bunch of limits. Like the, the service quickly became riddled with limits where you simply could not use a certain feature too much because that was really hurting us. Mm -hmm. But the problem is some games wanted to use features more often and were frankly willing to pay for it. And so by moving to a consumption-based model, we basically were able to remove all these limits and make the service way more friendly and easier to use because now game developers can simply use whatever they want and and just pay the bill. Um, and we're if they want to keep and it also gives them a lot more control over their usage. So if they want to keep that bill small, we can give them helping guides on how to keep it down and, and just don't use as many services. Or if you especially want a service to be amazing and 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 use more of the features, you can do that too. So it's been a good. I think it's been a really good empowering change and i think the feedback has been very positive so far well i really appreciate you taking your time to answer all of our questions we got i know we got through a lot a lot of technical stuff and you you really explain as your playfab and what playfab does for games very well so i just want to open the floor for you if you have any final words that you want to add in here no i don't i i uh, you know, it's 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 exciting. It's hard to believe it's been three years already since we did this acquisition, and it's been fun. You know, as part of this acquisition uh, sort of celebration, 
we've been doing some prizes. So we recognized some indie game studios who were using PlayFab pretty aggressively. And it's just been fun to see the sheer amount of creativity and support from the community. That's 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 the part of the part of my job I like the most is just watching game developers use our technology and and be excited by it. Well, well, again, thank you so much, James, for appearing on our podcast. And we invite everyone to check out our news posts. We'll have the link in the description about uh, Azure and everything about Azure PlayFab that you need to know. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that was amazing. Uh, you know, uh, Eric did an amazing job doing it as an interviewer. He asked some amazing questions. Uh, I mean, I'm sure uh, it seems that uh, James is kind of on a tour right now. I don't know how available he is via Twitter, but uh, if you guys have any more questions that you would like us to maybe perhaps relay or get some uh, some things that weren't answered during the interview, let us know, and we'll see if we can get some follow-up and maybe do another post about it. I know that we'll be talking about uh, Azure uh PlayFab in the future, especially as uh, more studios come online, uh, take advantage of it as Microsoft's platform grows even bigger. Uh, again, mm-hmm. as they wanted to kind of be the Netflix for gaming, they also still want to be the platform for other companies as well to use just as a tool. So uh, we thank James for his uh, time, and I hope you guys got some good information out of it. So speaking of information, now it's time for you to give us information about the money Microsoft is making this past quarter. Yeah, Microsoft made a lot of money. (laughs) Um, They made a surprising amount uh, that investors were kind of uh, shocked and pleasantly surprised by. Uh, Let me pull up my post for the exact numbers, but we know that they did well uh, as far as gaming is concerned. They did slightly well or above what they did last year for Surface hardware. They did well in Office. They continue to do well in Azure. Um, but the quarter, I mean, the yeah, the year-over-year gains are starting to kind of catch up to the astronomical numbers they were kind of putting uh, prior years. So that could be a bit worrying uh, for some investors who, you know, see the cloud as this infinite uh, gambling bet that they're all kind of banking on, as AWS is still taking that large chunks. But uh, again, let me get into the specifics. Uh, where is my? Here we go. The notes. Okay. So Microsoft Q2 2021 results, uh, again, were pretty impressive. They added $15.5 billion uh, in their in uh, profit uh, to their quarterly for the for the quarter. Uh, That's compared delivered, to last quarter versus this compared quarter. Compared to last quarter, right, quarter over quarter, yeah. Um, they delivered a 34% increase in their stock value, uh, which, you know, added about, uh, which sent invest, uh, shares about $2.03 for investors. Uh, they also increased the revenue by 17%, which was pretty impressive, um, even as we get into the long tail of COVID and most uh, companies have kind of uh, solidified themselves in their uh, hybrid, you know, on-premise, in-cloud setups. Uh, they also brought in $47.5 million, uh, total Microsoft 365 subscribers uh, for the quarter and I guess year to date. So. Uh, Microsoft 365 is still on a pretty steady clip of gaining new uh, subscribers. And again, I think this is part and parcel with um, the way they've kind of throughout Teams, throughout Office 365 and Azure all at once. Because if, you know, if you're uh, a Linux-based company and you're using Linux-based servers and you start to dabble in Azure, it only makes sense to then get uh, Office and some other things. And eventually you're just a Microsoft 365 subscriber. So... They have many carrots that are all kind of bringing in this 
increased for them. Uh, they also increased their gaming revenue, which was uh, kind of a shock, uh, about 51%. Uh, and again, this is quarter over quarter. Um, because they really didn't have, I mean, aside from the hardware itself, which was hard to get, they didn't have any exclusives. So it's you know impressive to see that a lot of this revenue, a lot of this movement that they had um, was based on Game Pass. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and the, the other kind of news that kind of took headlines for everybody was that Microsoft's Surface uh, hardware has finally reached above, just a clip above $2 billion as a business in revenue. Kind of, kind of surprising because I believe some publication was declaring that Surface would be dead in 2019, if, I, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, we won't name names. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people had uh, a death, death nail for Surface hardware. Uh, it was, it's been marked probably over the last three years uh, as it kind of stagnated at 1.4, 1.6, 1.2 billion uh, in various quarters. Um, but it, they finally hit the 2 billion marker. Now that comes with a few caveats uh, that we'll get into because um, it's revenue. Most of these numbers are revenue. And uh, when we look at earnings calls, Microsoft loves to kind of roll around and revel in revenue. It's sheer profit that we need to talk about, and this is kind of how we compared the surface hardware uh, division to, you know, say the likes of Apple or Samsung or something where their revenue also matches their profit. Uh, like I said, we'll get into that. But I'm just going to do a kind of quick breakdown of their divisions. Uh, for those of you who, you know, may or may not um, keep up with Microsoft, they went through a reorg and they've kind of grouped uh, their businesses, their separate, you know, mini several businesses into three large uh, buckets. One they call revenue and productivity and business, um, business processes. Um, they had a, a 13 point, they brought in 13.4 billion. Their revenue increases about 13%. Um, their office commercial, which is um, your Office 365 products, uh, a lot of the cloud uh, initiatives that they offer, stuff like Teams is, is bundled into there and they got an 11% increase uh, again, quarter uh, over quarter. Uh, and it also includes LinkedIn as well as is thrown in there. And then they have their intelligent cloud, which is Azure, as you would ex uh, expect. Uh, that was up about a uh, 23% increase and they brought in about 14.6 billion in revenue. So again, like I said, um, they were previously seeing gains of like 70 or 50% increases quarter over quarter, over year over year, because again, they were relatively new. So when you start from zero, any gain is, is amazing and, and huge. But now we're starting to see a steady 25 to 28% increase. And again, if you're betting on growth and where Microsoft can go with that, um, they are still the relatively number two player um, and they still have you know, ways to go. They've signed a lot of large contracts and the DOD thing once, if and once it gets cleared is another uh, 10 billion, the 10.5 billion per year that they can start to put and add into their bottom line. Um, so again, they, can, they have ways to go, but it isn't, um, as clear as it was three or four years ago for them. So they'll have to start pretty soon, relatively soon, like the next three or four years, start to kind of show profits, so to speak, for these revenue numbers. Uh, then lastly, we have more personal computing, which is all the fun stuff we love to talk about. Surface which is Windows, and Xbox, Windows and OEM, yep. Hardware, uh, OEMs, the different versions of Windows, stuff like that. Uh, and that was an increase of about 14%. Um, that was more all over the place, just like all the products itself. Uh, Windows OEM revenue was uh, only increased by 1%, which is 
kind of interesting because uh, that means that there were fewer PCs sold with Windows Pro licensing on them, despite there being an increase in, I believe Gartner saying that there was an increase in PC sales, like for the first time in like five years. So uh, a lot of what that means is that um, Microsoft saw a big gain about six months ago with Windows 7 uh, licensing ending and Windows 10 being on the market for about five or six years is still taking a little slower to uh, kind of be adopted. Uh, so and and at this point, um, with the way the operating systems are kind of built, I don't see there going to be a huge flood of people rushing out to get Windows 10, um, at least not in mass for enterprise. So we'll probably still see one to three percent increases for them for the foreseeable future. Nothing huge on that mark, as long as PCs don't see a drop, which they might because everyone went out and bought one this year. So I've, we expect to see a soft 2021 for them as far as a Windows revenue is concerned. But the more fun stuff is Xbox. Uh, Xbox services revenue increased by 40%, which is pretty big. Uh, again, especially given that there were no exclusives to kind of drive this, and this is all based solely, and I believe most other people have been reporting this, it's based solely on Game Pass. Yeah, Game Pass hit uh, 18 million subscribers, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it's been Game Busters for them, and uh, rightfully so. And I believe I was listening to some podcast earlier today about um, how Microsoft's vision of being the Netflix for gaming is actually coming to fruition. We thought, you know, it might have taken a few more years than it is, but with, I believe, the medium release, um, we're starting to see that Microsoft is kind of doing what Netflix does, is where they will finance a game, um, back it, promote it, and if it doesn't do well, then it goes away. But if it does do well, it's something that becomes its own property, becomes the driver for people getting Game Pass. Um, like so, uh, Flight Sim. <laughs> sort of <laughs> like Flight Sim. I know you're a fan favorite of it. But yeah, Flight Sim, I mean, by all by all measures, is one of those things that could be, I'm trying to think of a popular Netflix show, like Bridgerton. You know, um, people may not have Netflix, but as soon as they start hearing people talk about Bridgerton and and it becomes word of mouth, they might sign up for the, I think, what is it, $14 a month or whatever for Netflix? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you so could get Game Pass, uh, you could get three months of Game Pass for $1 now if you haven't had it before. Yeah, and like I said, um, Medium is, I think, what is its Metacritic? I, I'm not sure, it's pretty high. Um, from some of the reviews I've seen, it's, you know, it, it's a hit or miss for, you know, depending on the uh, genre of game that you like, but it, does get the conversation going about, you know, playing this game and then trying out whatever else is on Game Pass. And I believe this is going to, again, start going forward where Microsoft can say, here, here, X company studio, whatever, here's, you know, five billion, five million to help fund and promote this game. We just want an Xbox exclusive. And if it's if it becomes a hit, it's another reason to get Xbox. If it doesn't, you know, Microsoft made the bet and it just didn't work out. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, as we're seeing, you know, COVID kind of accelerate this kind of thing, more people are willing to sign up and play as many games versus, you know, I believe it's Sony's position is $70 per really good game. <laughs> right, yeah. So um, that is part of what my, drove uh, some of the conversation about Microsoft's revenue this year, uh, its earnings. That was one of the bigger ones. Uh, the other bigger thing, I think, was, oh, the Surface stuff. Yeah, and we I didn't get into that. <laughs> Yeah, like I had mentioned before that um, service is up, but uh, just over $2 billion in revenue. Uh, 
but this comes um, in the wake of PCs again being at an all-time high as far as far as sales and uh, through rates for for every company for HP it's because of the pandemic uh, largely in part right well yes and that's that's what's telling sort of troubling for surface if you look at the numbers while it reached over two billion in revenue we don't know what the profit is because Microsoft hasn't broken that out yet but uh, you would think it would and it, it like I said it'd been hovering at about 1.6 1.7 so in if you're at an all-time high, you know, and you're following the tide of everybody else, you would think that they would have easily crossed the two billion, maybe even gone further. Especially as they offer um, more affordable, quote-unquote, options. Um, I think you wrote a piece about it that you know Chromebooks are kind of eating into their education market, which is a huge one for them. Enterprise people, um, I think they are getting um, discounts, obviously, as far as wholesale and upgrades, uh, like the Surface Service Pro Seven Plus or whatever. So as far as new consumer-based buys and purchases, like you or myself, it seems like they didn't really make any movement on that. Um, again, if you just look at the industry itself, uh, it's, it's uh, suspected that it's down by about $6 billion because going into the holiday season, what would have normally been a buy season for everyone who has been out and saving money and been kind of you know, doing the normal thing, they spent all that money during COVID. So if you were at home starting school, um, you bought your PC already. You you upgraded your workstation at home. You did this either through March, uh, through the summer, or at the beginning of school semester. You kind of bought all the upgrades. So when it came time to buy new devices, you know, during the holiday season for presents or whatever, there just wasn't a huge demand, especially for the more expensive Surface device. So um, Microsoft's going to need to, you know, hone in and find that you know that hit home run for them as far as hardware is concerned as far as the surface device is concerned to kind of keep pace with not only the industry but with its own uh mission statement you know to cause innovation things like that what i what i'm seeing right now is that they're trying a bunch of stuff and not everyone's following again you know we'll see with lenovo's new tablet pc and how that comes close to the surface pro sevens i believe but for a long time, you know, no one was making those. Um, the standard clamshell laptop is, you know, Microsoft's versions you know, usually want, is bested by everybody uh, as far as price or specs are concerned. So, uh, and the Duo, we'll see if they can come up with a, a sequel and maybe see other people <laughs> follow suit. But at some point, they're going to need to justify uh, the Surface line again, despite hitting $2 billion. I think that's a good segue for the third segment, which is... Uh... The new Surface Pro 7 ad, I know we always take jabs at Apple here at on Microsoft and uh, Kareem especially, but uh, now now Microsoft is going all out and is taking a very big jab at Apple's MacBook Pro in a new 30-second ad that appeared on their YouTube channel for the Surface Pro 7. Uh, basically, it has a teenager in it because obviously teens are... The hipster ones these days with Surface and MacBooks, apparently, Generation <laughs> X or Z or whatever they call them these days. But um, point is, anyway, the teenager has the Surface in one hand and the MacBook in the other, and he's doing old school PC versus Mac comparison between the two. So first of all, he criticized the MacBook Touch Bar, which is Apple's most controversial thing like ever, apparently. So he's like, 
Matt gave me this little touch bar, but why can't they give me a whole touch screen? And then he looks at the Surface Pro 7. And then again, like as if that wasn't bad enough and a big jab, the Surface Pro 7, obviously it has a detachable keyboard, which you could like take take off the keyboard and just hold the Surface in your hand. So then he's looking at the MacBook and he's like, well, with the Mac, you're just stuck with what you got. And he's like bending it over like a like you attempt to bend like a like a laptop in half or something and then they interesting interestingly enough in the ending part of the ad they have some sort of a price comparison where they're like oh the the surface pro 7 is cheaper than the $1300 MacBook Pro but they're not really accounting for the price of the type cover or the surface pen in that. They so never do. They never do. So it's kind of a, an ad that, that makes you scratch your head a little bit. But anyway, at any point, we're not here to criticize anyone. We're just stating the facts. And I'm the ad is... Apple. I'm always criticize <laughs> Apple. The ad is a pretty... Criticizing Apple. <laughs> <laughs> the ad is a, is a pretty fun one. And it, 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 it highlights some of the problems that MacBooks have had in the recent years. Like the resistance to add for Apple to add touch screens to Mac. And the, the portability aspects. And lacking the inking. And even the battery life and, and the price. And... The ad has more dislikes than likes on YouTube, and and I don't think the the comments are turned on either. So you know this ad is 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 a new new way new controversy for Microsoft. If if you remember a couple of months ago, they also had the controversy with their holiday commercial. So again, Microsoft is putting out these controversial ads. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think they might have read their own earnings numbers a little too uh <laughs> they might have been feeling really confident about that two billion marker and said hey let's just throw the, the surface out there against the uh the apple uh, or the macbook um as you mentioned it's kind of you know it's it's a tongue-in-cheek apples to oranges comparison because apple does offer the ipad and uh the ipad pro which is basically the, the new version of the surface uh for mac users and um, you know there is rumors that they are potentially getting rid of the touch bar, and, and it could be as early as next year, the year, or yeah, as early as this year, next year, that they you know may introduce touch uh, screens. I mean, they are working ever so slowly towards it, and they're telegraphing it, you know, uh, as much as hard as they can. It's only a matter of time before the jokes that Surface Pro guys could say about touch screens no longer applies, and that will be the time where Microsoft has to. You know, match wits with Rosetta and some other things as far as software, because at the end of the day, the hardware will be will be null and void for these kind of kind of pot shots. Either way, I, if you stand on the Apple side or if you stand on the Microsoft side, it's still really fun to see these ads all the time. Because I remember back in the days where they had the I'm a PC and I'm a Mac yeah, guy. Yeah, Apple just brought that back again. Yeah, during their, when they revealed the, the new M1 Mac. So it's really fun to see these companies taking shots at each other. Yeah, I mean, as long as, yeah, I think it's all in good fun. Um, I think it's the fans that take it one way or the other, uh, maybe too, too drastically sometimes. But again, I, I'm all for it. So now that we got through our list of uh, topics, it's time for the week ahead segment. And I want uh, Kareem to kick it off with some yeah. new hardware. He has a lot of new hardware that he's I playing do. with. Uh, I'm going to start off with, 
the more boring thing, which is this little baby, which I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> oh, uh, it's a ThinkPad X1. The ThinkPad X1 Nano, for those of you who are just listening, it's this super thin uh, ThinkPad, which uh, is pretty amazing. Um, it's become my new favorite within, I don't know, 48 hours. Uh, it's got amazing battery life uh, so far. Uh, sounds pretty fanless to me. Uh, it's got an amazing screen. This is also their, uh, I believe, uh, 16 by 10 that they're going with now versus the 16 by 9 that they normally do. It's part of the Intel Evo thing. And the only thing so far that I can note before you know I get into my initial impressions, what I should be writing early next week about, is that it turns off really quickly. Like when you leave the room, or if it, I guess the camera's constantly on, I don't know. But when it doesn't sense you, it just goes black. Oh, wow. Which can be a benefit if you're trying to save battery, which is super annoying though. If you like just went to go get a drink of water and you want to finish writing, because it kind of starts to have, it kind of starts to have to start back up again. But I'll be writing about that, and then this here is the star is of the show. The star, yeah. This is the ThinkPad X1 Fold, my new booklet slash comic book reader. Uh, it's got a lot of fingerprints on it because this thing is meant for touch. Um, that is. Part of what my initial uh, review is going to be about. Uh, like I said, I've been using it kind of as a comic book reader. I think it's pretty awesome that way. As a full-fledged PC, I'm still giving it, you know, running it through its paces, uh, and I'll write about again that in a full review. But these are the two things I got from Lenovo that I'm excited to write about, and you should be reading about next week. So we'll look look out for Kareem's uh, first hands-on impressions. Yes. Uh, but there, aside from uh, Kareem's, this is the editorial side. We do have some topics which uh, we want to go back and revisit because we think that they might be some big things for Microsoft in the week ahead. First of all is some things with uh, Chromebooks because apparently the Microsoft CVP for education, he said in uh, in a company hands all hands all, all hands meeting that uh, Chromebooks are faster and cheaper and that we have our work cut out for us. So um, I believe it was Business Insider that originally pushed out this article. And they're basically saying that even though with Teams big gains, I think it's like 100 million something odd or 100 million new users added to Teams education, Microsoft is still struggling to catch up with Google when it comes to like the hardware aspect because Google Chromebooks are more easy to manage and more easy to set up and are more cheap. So with Windows 10X on the horizon, we think that this is going to be something that you might want to keep an eye on to see it, how Microsoft is going to react. Yeah, uh, our editor-in-chief, is he's very bullish on Chromebooks and obviously has a right to be because the numbers are in his favor. Um, the other thing I would note is that uh, aside from just Chromebooks themselves being uh, easy to set up, Google does have a platform for education that is second to none. Um, and that's just something as a Microsoft fan hurts to say, but Microsoft needs to really work on how to streamline not only Teams, but OneNote education, things like that to, to kind of match wits with this. Because it's one thing to get a Chromebook. It's another thing when your teachers know instantly how to uh, distribute grades and, and notes and things like that. And, and the communication between students and teachers is so effortless that even if you know they decided to charge the same amount for Chromebooks for PCs, the framework for education is, you know, they're not going to leave it. 
So, and then other than uh, this, there's also some more teams news that we want to touch on. Um, I, I'm sure you all are just like us and you're depending on teams a lot more now. And one of the problems that people have complained about is that the desktop app is very RAM hungry and it's performance hungry. Well, uh, Microsoft said in a post on the Teams user voice that they're working to improve the overall performance of Teams on Windows and Mac. And they said that it's a topmost priority. So look look out for that in the week, week ahead and also in the weeks ahead to see how Microsoft is going to tweak Teams. But other than that, there's also some Surface Duo news too, right, Kareem? Yeah, for those of you who are still keeping an eye on the Surface Duo because it's still selling, um, not well, but it's, <laughs> people are selling it. Um, there's a UK variant coming out, uh, it, or I don't know if it's just UK, but I think it's an international variant uh, that will have eight gigabytes uh, of memory is uh, bumped up, so it's bumped up from the six. Um, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll have more information about that um, as this starts to roll out. But yeah, for those of you who were waiting for the surface duo you now has your chance to get it if you're in another country uh test it out for yourself i'm sure you can find other versions of it on ebay yeah but... one of the note uh which is a follow-up i wrote a post uh, about microsoft's uh, political action committee the fact that they were kind of in hot water over last weekend uh they've had an official word about it and they're saying that they will be halting uh and reevaluating uh where that money goes from that pack um, and they gave themselves about a 14-day window, and that was, I don't know, about six days ago, um, t- to reevaluate, you know, where they spend the money and how it's done going forward. Uh, so, again, follow that. Uh, keep an eye on that because, again, they are one of many companies who are needing to reevaluate uh, where money goes in politics. And if, you know, as, as an old person, if there even should be money from big, big companies in uh, politics. So we'll be That's following very- those. Very important note because this was a thing that lit up Twitter when it happened last week. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll light them up again as we, <laughs> as the you know administration gets into more policy uh, discussions. So anyway, going back to what I was mentioning about the Microsoft 365 event, it um, apparently it is going to be held on February 4th at 9 a.m. Eastern time. We'll, we'll be watching and we'll be covering it, but the theme of the event is discuss ways to transform the employee experience. And they also have the headliner, empower people and teams to be their best. So with that said, um, it looks like they might talk about Microsoft Teams and the rest of Microsoft 365 during this event. So it's something that uh, you want to keep your eye on. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to go over features that you know we probably haven't even written about yet. Uh, so if you're looking to get the most out of Teams, this might be your chance. Yeah, and uh, I think that's everything that we wanted to talk about, unless you have anything else to add. I don't, not for this week. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for watching, everyone, and uh, follow us on Twitter. I am at ABACJURN, and you are? Uh, MindHead1. Still not, still MindHead1, not with the original yeah, MindHead. Yeah, like I said, it's, MindHead1 is the new MindHead. Like, don't even <laughs> think about MindHead0 or MindHead original. Yeah, so uh, thanks everyone for watching and see you again. Same place, same time next week. Thank you.